The following program is for informational and educational purposes only. This program does not replace medical, mental health, or psychological diagnosis and treatment prescribed by your personal physician, psychologist, therapist, or other health care provider. Please consult your provider for diagnosis and care before beginning or changing any program or idea discussed. Welcome to Psych Up Live with your host, Dr. Suzanne Phillips. This is the show that brings you a psychological perspective on common and current life issues. Here is Dr. Suzanne Phillips. Hi, and thanks for joining me on Psych Up Live. Regardless of gender, age, or political persuasion, we all fall for fake news. Not you. Listen in as our guest science writer Matthew Hudson discusses how and why we are all increasingly susceptible to believing misinformation. Drawing upon his recent article in Psychology Today entitled How Memory Became Weaponized, Matthew Hudson will discuss the aspects of human memory that get caught the ongoing attacks on our memories with algorithms used by marketers, social media, or anyone with an agenda they want believed. The question is, how can we resist this? How can we fend off the fakery? Matthew Hudson is a freelance writer who covers psychology, technology, and artificial intelligence. He has a bachelor's degree in cognitive neuroscience from Brown University and a master's degree in science writing from MIT. He has written for Wired, The Atlantic, Science, Newsweek, The New York Times Magazine, and many more. He is a former news editor for Psychology Today and is the author of The Seven Laws of Magical Thinking, How Irrational Beliefs Keep Us Happy, Healthy, and Sane. And Matthew did a wonderful show on Psych Up Live about that book. Matthew Hudson, it is my pleasure to welcome you back to Psych Up Live. My pleasure to be here. Okay, Matthew, let's start by defining fake news. What do you mean? So fake news would be... Uh, an article or a piece of media that you come across usually online these days that presents itself as real news reporting, um, but is made up, not just mistaken, but intentionally made up in order to deceive. Right. Now, how do we get trapped by something like that? How do we not really immediately know, well, this can't be real? Oh, we, we tend to trust what we read and what we hear. Uh, especially if it's coming from something that purports to be a respectable outlet, like uh, a news media outlet. Uh, and we're not, we don't have the inside scoop necessarily, so it's hard for us to you know, do the fact-checking on our own. And I think more important, we're not necessarily motivated to get to the bottom of things. If you come across a story and it's, uh, it agrees with something that you, that you believe or uh, it's a very emotional story, we might really want to believe it, um, or we might just be lazy and sort of take in what we see, and and we don't really Google around or ask or do our own investigation and say, well, what's what? Try to poke holes in things. Like, what's really going on here? Mm. I started to think that we're kind of naive, maybe because as we've as we've gotten into using the internet um, and the media. 
um, on the internet, on our phones as sources of information. You know, people are saying, when did that movie run or what did so-and-so say? We just go to it as if this is the fact source. So now to think that it might not be true is sort of dissonant with what we've been believing all along. So we, we just might be a little bit naive about that. Um, that's why your article struck me as so important because you're sort of saying our memory has become weaponized lately. Yeah, yeah. Um, we're almost active participants in our own deception. Um, so memory is—it's not just reconstructive; it's it creative in some ways. Um, so this article is not just about how we about why we believe fake news, but how it affects what we actually remember. Hmm. Um, so remembering you know, specific events or our own experiences or things that we've seen and heard. And so when we recall an event, it's not just sort of uh, reading a, uh, looking at a photograph or, you know, reading something that's exactly stored uh, in a library. We're actually piecing things together and recreating the memory. So, for instance, each time you tell a story about something that happened to you, it changes a little bit each time. You have you regenerate it. It's a creative process, hmm. uh, and that can be um, affected by circumstances or, or by um, beliefs about other things. Um, so, if you uh, if you saw some event, and then you hear someone else's interpretation of the event. And then you're asked to describe the event. Um, the way that you describe the event, the way that you construct it, is going to going to be influenced by you know this other person's perspective, the the other input you received about it. Oh, that's so interesting. So we gather and co-create and edit our memories um, as we go. I, I liked that example you you referred to Elizabeth Loftus's study, and I love the example where. You mentioned that she was studying crime and found if prosecutors use certain words or questions, they could influence how witnesses recalled an event. And it was so interesting because if people were told that cars smashed together as opposed to hit each other, the people who were told they smashed together, in, in re- remembering what happened, they began to recall, well, at least 32% of them recalled broken glass. No one had even mentioned broken glass, but it's just what you're saying. They added to, by reason of that word, to the whole memory of the event by even adding another factor. So so we participate in fake news just because we have that kind of, that's one of the aspects of our memory to kind of take in as we go and enhance yeah. Um, so Elizabeth Loftus did a, a lot of studies on um, victim accounts and eyewitness accounts in criminology. Um, and there was that study you mentioned, people watched a video of a car crash, and then the way that it was described to them afterward affected how they remember, what they remembered seeing in the video, and they remembered seeing things that weren't even there. Um, and she looked at some accounts of, uh, and she also testified in a lot of trials um, accounts of child abuse or, or molestation and, and buried memories, things like this. Uh, and she's not denying that sometimes these things happen. But she did show how easy it is in her, her laboratory research to 
get people to believe things happened to them that did not actually happen and to vividly recall these things. So she would tell people stories about taking a hot air balloon ride when they were a kid or getting lost in the mall or even seeing a demon possession um, and sometimes would show them uh, sort of falsified photographs of them as a kid in a hot air, hot, hot air balloon, that sort of thing. And then she would ask them about this, like, do you remember this event? And people would very frequently say, yes, I, oh, yeah, I remember that, like, being in, in the hot air balloon, and I was with my dad, and I was scared, and, and then we saw some birds and all these things. Um, so she showed how easy it is to, uh, with, with simple suggestion, to kind of implant vivid memories in people's minds. Mm. So when you realize how suggestible we are, then... Uh, when when s- there are people who start to Photoshop events, like you mentioned, uh, let's say a protest where they Photoshop John Kerry and Jane Fonda at a Vietnam anti-war rally, well, people would just go for it because, well, it's there. Maybe they forgot. Now, what's what we see obviously has a great impact on what we remember or what we think happened. Yeah. Um- and there's some studies with famous photographs, like the the photo of a man standing in front of a tank in Tiananmen Square. Uh, and they edited these photos, like adding crowds or, or more protesters or things like this. And then they asked people what they recalled about the event. Uh, and turns out these Photoshop photos changed people's memories of their, the, changed people's original memories of these events. That's so interesting. So there's a fluidity and a suggestibility that um, and causes us, as you said, to participate in the fake news or what is not true that is being presented to us. Right, right, yeah. We're active collaborators in, in this process. It's very interesting. Now, you use a term, the, illusor, um, the illusory truth effect. Now, yeah. what is that? It basically is that when you hear or see something, more than once, you're more likely to believe it as true. So, if, for instance, in this case, if there's a headline uh, or a piece of news that you see over and over again, uh, even if you, the first time you see it, you don't necessarily believe it, just by pure repetition, uh, it becomes more familiar to you, and that familiarity uh, makes you more likely to believe it. Uh, part of it is this fluency effect people talked about. Uh, so there are studies where if you read a piece of text, uh, if you read, say, a fact or a statement, you're more likely to think that it's true if it's in an easy-to-read font. So it's this mm. weird subconscious bias we have. Uh, information that we process easily just feels more true, or in some studies, some studies uh, we rate it as more beautiful, um, whereas things that are difficult to process we think of as ugly or, or not true. You know what that made me think about, Matthew? It made me think that a headline, easy to read, but not true, repeated over and over again, has a much greater impact than a very fact-proofed opinion or article in the Wall Street Journal and the New York Times. That headline's going to outweigh the, the impact on who remembers what much more. Yeah, um, and there's been sort of a, a conception in psychology for a while that if we're evaluating the truth of something or if we're answering a, a question, we first look to our knowledge 
And then if we don't know the answer, then we'll think, okay, is this, um, is this familiar? Is this easy to process? But there's one study where they actually showed the, the, the reverse is true. So they asked people, or they gave people statements like um, the, the skirt that, that Scottish people wear is called a sari, um, when of course it's a, a kilt. And they had people um, rate the truth of these things. And people were more likely to rate it as true if they read it twice versus once. And this was even among people who later were asked, what is the name of this thing? And they gave the correct answer, kilt. So even people who knew the right answer, they still were affected by this familiarity effect. And it suggested that rather than looking to our knowledge banks, and then if that's empty, we rely on what's familiar. It's the other way around. First, we think about what's familiar. Like, oh, we, yeah, this, sorry, we just read about this. Yeah, this is familiar. It must be true. And only later, if we're pressured, uh, if we're pressed, then we'll look into our knowledge banks. That is so interesting. I wonder if time is a factor on that, considering the speed with which people go through their phones are, yeah. are in, at work, they're texting, they're scribe, you know, they're looking up things. If you don't give yourself much time, I bet that familiarity um, effect is going to be even more powerful in terms of out trumping what you actually know in terms of a sorry or anything else. Yeah, we're just inundated with information. We have news feeds on our phones and on Facebook and Twitter and, and cable news and newspapers. We're just swamped with information of all kinds. Um, and it's hard to, we don't have the time or the energy to, you know, think, to fact check everything we see. So a lot of it is just, oh yeah, that feels familiar. That's, that's probably true. I'll go with it. Mm. it it's interesting that even... When you look, think about the advertisements, when they say, uh, I think one of the examples you give, nine out of ten doctors feel this, mm. or um, so and so many people do this. If you hear that enough, you start actually believing, could this work? Sometimes it's a crazy suggestion, but for a minute there, you think, <laughs> and so, think of people ordering things at 1 a.m. in the morning. First of all, they're a little sleepy, and mm. so with enough familiarity and repetition, they're calling in uh, to order it. Yeah, so that goes even beyond the, the familiarity effect. That's um, not just, you know, the subconscious effect of processing something easily because it's familiar. That's you know, reasoning, oh, I've heard this from multiple sources. Mm. Uh, and could they all be wrong? I doubt it. If, if many people think this, then it's probably true. Okay, so then that... that that fits in with the more you hear something uh, and you're saying you start to even have the illusion they're coming from different sources. Well, um, it, that's possible, yes. So definitely if you hear something from different sources, mm-hmm. um, then there's that, the 9 out of 10 dentists agree. Okay, okay. Even if you hear something from the same source over and over, then you get the familiarity effect. And the familiarity effect can possibly lead to... Um, the other thing where, you know, it, it seems more true than you imagine that you heard it from multiple places. Hmm. Now, let me ask you, one of the things you said uh, in your article is you said in 2016, the word of the year was post-truth, 2017, mm-hmm. fake news, 2018, um, misinformation. Would you say, are you, are you sort of suggesting that the internet, um, the news feeds, 
that the fake news problem we're facing is fairly current in the last few years, Matthew? Well, fake news has always existed. Uh, I think it's just now it's in a more um, viral form. There are different ways of targeting people, their algorithms for seeing who is going to be most susceptible to this message, who's going to, who's most likely, likely to believe this. Um, so that kind of finds fertile minds to plant these seeds. Um, people can also find communities online. There's a sort of echo chamber effect where you can surround yourself with other people who have similar beliefs. Um, and then you're going to hear the same things over and over. So that's going mm. to sort of amplify the effect of fake news and your belief in it. Mm, so in a way, we're going to have to take a break, but in a way, technology, and as you say, speed, et cetera, of information and the talk and the chat groups have, have amplified it. Yeah. We're going to take a break. You've been listening to Psych Up Live, and we're speaking with Matthew Hudson about fake news. He's an MIT-trained science writer who discusses this in his recent article in Psychology Today. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. There are many people who claim to be dog experts, yet they don't really provide a connection between dog owners and their best friend. This is where the BS stops. Listen for Taming the Wild in Your Dog with expert, author, and nationally recognized dog trainer Brian Bailey. Each show has experts, professional trainers, and veterinarians to give you the right answers. Listen for the safety and well-being of your dog. Listen every Wednesday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have you ever experienced the joy of living? Not just aspects of your life, but the true joy of life itself. Barry Shore has. You could call him an ambassador of joy. From a successful entrepreneur to becoming a quadriplegic due to a rare disease to his ongoing recovery through swimming and physical rehabilitation. Barry now presents his gifts to others as host of The Joy of Living. All you need to do is tune in. Listen live every Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time and 1 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Variety Channel. Are you finding your frequency? It can be described as that space between failure and success. It's the future of digital media. It's finding your voice. It's engaging topics, content, and ideas. Jeff and Ryan discuss the digital media space and all of its aspects. It's about making the mistakes, taking the chances, summoning the intestinal fortitude to step out of your comfort zone, and discovering what you can accomplish when you decide to try, decide to learn, decide that you have something to say, and find your frequency. Live Fridays at 12 noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time, on the Voice America Variety Channel. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. You are listening to Psych Up Live. Join in our conversation today by calling Dr. Suzanne Phillips or her guest at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. 
You may also send an email to radiohostphillips at gmail.com. Now, back to Psych Up Live. Welcome back to Psych Up Live. Welcome back. We're speaking with Matthew Hudson. He's a science writer. He's drawing upon his recent article in Psychology Today entitled How Memory Became Weaponized to discuss why we are increasingly susceptible to fake news and how we can resist it. Matthew, let's talk a little bit more about the recent technological advances that really have amplified the crisis we have here of being susceptible um, and vulnerable to fake news. Mm. Yeah, so one influence is the way that information is disseminated. So we used to get news from the big three news channels, uh, the big three networks, NBC, ABC, CBS, um, and maybe your local newspaper or national newspaper. And all of these were you know, heavily fact-checked, heavily vetted sources of information. Um, that occasionally got things wrong, but you know, most of the time they were pretty, pretty right. And now we get a lot more information from, well, there are all kinds of, there are different cable news networks, there are websites, there are uh, online newspapers, there are blogs, there are people on Twitter. We're just getting information and news from all kinds of different directions. And some of that might be incorrect, some of it might be biased, some of it might be you know, and straight up fraudulent. And it's hard for us to um, sift through all that. Uh, and mm-hmm. we might be biased to just believe what we read. So all of that is accessible to us now. And a lot of it is under the guise of, um, of neutral news, of balanced news. Um, but a lot of it isn't. Actually, each of the uh, areas or the outlets are presenting theirs as the fact, which is what is so confounding for people. You know, as I mentioned in the break, no no matter which of the talk shows you might go to, depending on your political persuasion, you're given to believe this is real. If only the others would recognize it. We're going to try to get them to recognize it. They're going to be exposed. And pretty soon, you really don't know what is real. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think people, some people have more of a conspiratorial um, point of view. And so they might be, if they see a headline, like, here's the real scoop on this, or this is what they don't want you to know, then that catches their eye. And they're like, oh, okay, well, yeah, this must be the real truth. You know, what the, the mass media is telling me, those are all lies. Like, here's... This is, you know, this is the good, the real stuff. Hmm. Now, one of the things that um, I think you mentioned and people speak about is that the recent role, or maybe it's not so recent, of tribalism in believing false information. So if I really am on the left, mm-hmm. I am going to believe only things that support the left perspective, and the same would be true if I'm on the right. So that makes me very vulnerable to false news. Yeah, we're we're more amenable to news that uh, confirms what we already believe. And so, yes. if you read something that you don't believe, you might, you know, disagree. If you read something that you don't um, want to believe, then you end up might end up not believing it, um, or just ignoring it, or reading it and forgetting about it 
And then we also shape the, we control our sources of information. So now you're not just watching NBC or ABC, you're, you're deciding to watch Fox News or MSNBC, or you're reading particular blogs or websites with a, a very specific, narrow point of view. So that influences what, that influences the news that we even see in the first place. And then people discuss news and share news uh, with others on social networks, on, on Facebook and Twitter. So then we're shaping our, we're creating this echo chamber where we're um, overwhelmingly discussing information with other people who have, who are like-minded, who share our beliefs. So mm-hmm. all of these things lead us to become uh, polarized in different directions. One, one of your suggestions, I was jumping ahead for a minute, about t- trying to sift out facts from fake news, and I don't think people do this enough, is that when you do come across someone who is sharing a completely opposite perception and insistence that what they know is fact, most people start fighting and arguing. But very few people do what you suggest, which is to ask the other person, I'm interested in how you know that. And yeah. what what are the facts that led to that? Because most of us only know the opinion, and right. and and families. I don't even have to tell you about families and holidays and fighting. But very few people ask, and very few people are able to give the the actual fact or source. It'd be great if people start looking things up, but it usually doesn't go that way. Yeah, that that is a great strategy. Just in general, if you're talking with someone. Um, who says something that you don't understand or that you don't agree with? Just how did you come to come across this belief? Um, first of all, it shows sort of curiosity, mm-hmm. and it's less okay. likely to create an adversarial uh, a, a confrontation uh, where the other person is on the defensive and maybe attack you. Um, it helps you understand where the person is coming from. Maybe the person actually has good information and, and you're mistaken. Mm-hmm. Then you can come to agree and, and learn something from them. Um, it also, maybe the other person is wrong and it's a way of, of allowing that person to discover for him or herself, oh, maybe, no, maybe I, I am not right about this or maybe I'm not so certain or maybe I don't really understand what's going on here. So instead of just telling people you're wrong or that's bogus. You're sort of helping the person explore, helping people explore on their own uh, the origin of their beliefs and, and maybe uh, a different way of, of thinking about things. Mm-hmm, definitely. Now, that, that makes me think about um, an example that you gave about the way things, and I, I guess I want to ask you, is this very new to technology the way things, pictures are changed. You gave the example of the picture of Emma Gonzalez. She's one of the survivors of the Parkland school shooting. And they have somehow doctored it so that she looks like she's ripping um, up the U.S. Constitution. Mm -hmm. And what she was really um, ripping up was, I think, a a target or something from a shooting range. Yeah. Um, Yeah. But so that kind of, um, I guess it's high-tech changing. It's not just cut and pasting. Is this something that's fairly new in the last few years where people are actually changing images Mm -hmm. and sending the false images out? 
Yeah, so Photoshop has been around for a while, and, and before that, there was kind of cut and paste and, and illustrations and things. Um, now we have what's called deep fakes. So this is the use of artificial intelligence to create very realistic photos or, or videos. Um, so you might have, um, one of the early uses was placing the faces of famous actresses into uh, pornography videos. Mm. Um, and it can be used to make it look like politicians are saying things that they're not saying. Um, so you can take, you know, the audio from, from one track, you know, record yourself saying anything you want, and then use that to manipulate a video of a, of a politician, say, and it, and it makes it look like the politician is saying these things. Mm. Um, and so that can be, for people who don't realize that it is a dupe, um, that it is fake, they might, you know, eat it up. They might believe it without questioning it. Mm-hmm. So, the deep fake software is fairly new, but I guess in knowing this, it might make us pause and think, would that kid really be ripping up the Constitution? Mm-hmm. Or would um, an actress that you, would Jennifer Aniston really be also doing porn? Right. So, you, it, it gives you again pause to think, let, let me just see what I, if I can find the real story. Now, as you say, we don't have time, it's a glimpse yeah. Um, and even with kind of memory study, sometimes the glimpse of something hangs in longer than a, than than looking at it for a longer period of time, where you might pick it up as phony. So yeah. it, it's a difficult situation. But you would say this deep fake software is fairly new in the last few years. Yeah, just in the last couple of years, it's become um, more realistic and easier for people to do. So you can you know download software from the internet that'll help you. Um, create these things. Um, another point about that is that even if you realize that it's a fake, if, even if you even if you know that oh that's probably not really Jennifer Aniston, that's probably a deep fake, um, then the image is still there in your head. Once you see something, you can't unsee it. Mm-hmm. And so, if these things are passed around, like maybe the video of um, you might create a, a deep fake video of an ex, like someone who dumped you as kind mm-hmm. of revenge, revenge porn, um, or you might create a video of a politician you don't like um, saying or doing something mean. Even if that becomes, even if that's later corrected or debunked and, and people realize that it's a fake, the image is still there in their heads and it can still influence how they think about the person or how they feel about the person in the, in the video. Mm-hmm. It's It's very tragic for teens who become the victims of cyberbullying um, when someone does this to them. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, and I, I think we have, you're in New York, and I'm out in Suffolk County in New York, and in one case, actually, um, the police had a whole branch to deal with this. Um, but it's it, it, it's very, very divisive and frightening to think that information and pictures about you can somehow... Um, be used without your permission, to say the least. Yeah, yeah. And then there's uh, a wider societal effect of deep fakes, which is that it might lead people to question the validity or the veracity of any picture or video they see. So it mm-hmm. kind of poison, poisons the well. So mm. the completely real images um, 
if you don't want to believe what you're seeing, you might uh, say, oh, well, that's probably fake. And then you don't have to believe it. Mm-hmm. So if you really saw something that was against your political perspective, whether it was about gun violence or whatever it happens to be, uh, you, you might refuse to believe it and not not think that that many children gathered yeah. or um, it really was a peaceful demonstration for yeah. guns. So it happens to be. Okay, so it really makes us skeptical. Um, it, it really does poison the well for us because yeah. you really start to wonder what you can believe. And at one point you said, if something's repeated a lot, and mm-hmm. I guess we don't have the time, we let the repetition um, win out over our gut feeling that maybe this isn't right. And that may be the point at which we really have to decide, check it. If you have a gut feeling somewhere, could this really be true? Yeah. On the point about poisoning the well, um, Donald Trump, that recording of, of him and Access Hollywood, the Access Hollywood tape, he initially said that it was real and kind of brushed it off. And later, now he's saying that it was fake. So now he has this new excuse he can use now that deep fakes are out there of mm. audio, audio and video. And in the future, going, you know, going forward, people will have that excuse. Hmm. It's, it's, very, it's very difficult. It's a very difficult situation. So our question, of course, is um, how do we deal with this? And what are some of the things that we can use to protect ourselves from misinformation? Um, so one thing is to be more skeptical, um, even cynical. Um, and question the source of what you're reading or hearing. This is difficult because we don't have the time or energy to question everything we've seen here. Um, and you know, it would just drive you crazy if you stopped trusting anything. Uh, and there are studies where people are asked to you know, think more critically, and it works in the short term, but you know, they kind of forget to do it every time. Mm-hmm, um, but, mm-hmm. but it does... Uh, it, it is a good practice to be in, to think about the source of your information and how they came to know it and whether it actually makes sense in the context of other things. Um, it's probably also good to have a diverse menu of, of media. Uh, so in your news feed, if don't just have right, right-wing or, or left-wing sources of information, sort of get a, a spectrum of of points of view to sort of cross-check different things and say, oh, how, how are other people thinking about this? Uh, and then there are things that as an individual we can't really control, but uh, society-wide um, we could increase regulations about um, filtering of news, you know, force Facebook and, and other tech companies to be responsible for the spread of things, uh, mm-hmm. of fake news. Mm-hmm. Uh, or to change laws to uh, to make deep fake revenge porn more punishable, things like that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I also think we have to take those. Those are really important examples. This probably is less necessary, but I heard about it, and, I, and so I'm going to share it. Sometimes we want to believe something. So to go back to Jennifer Aniston, someone did an article and said that. Given the, you know, the magazines that you see when you're checking out in the supermarket, mm-hmm. um, if we really believed every article on her having children, she'd have 18 children now. 
And so they asked, why do people continue to buy these these um, magazines um, when it's clearly not true or not likely to be true? And, and it was more from a psychological need to believe there's a happy ending for people. Mm-hmm. You know, people were upset that the marriage to Brad Pitt or whatever didn't work. And so yeah. the other thing I think that's going to uh, make us believe some of the really horrific ways that news is tampered with is our own need to believe things a certain way, even when it's quite irrational, like she would have 18 children now. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So it's really an interesting thing. We're going to have to take a break. And when we come back, let's take a look at who are the people or when are we most vulnerable to be fooled um, and what else we might do and how could we help our children. You've been listening to Psych Up Live. We're here with Matt Hudson. He's a science writer and the author of the article in Psychology Today, How Memory Became Weaponized. We're going to be discussing how to resist fake news. Stay with us. We'll be right back. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Do you understand your feline friends as well as you'd like? Why do they behave the way they do? If behavior issues get out of hand, how do you fix things? Get the answers and more when you listen to Cat Talk Radio with host Molly DeVos. We'll give you the straight facts, offer some tried and tested ideas, and alert you as to what's being done in this country and worldwide to save cats and shelter challenges. Cat Talk Radio, every Friday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific, on Voice America Variety. Are you or someone you know interested in attending college? With both college tuition and college enrollment up 60% since 2002, there is a lot of competition, and careful planning needs to be a part of the process. Tune in to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation, hosted by Elizabeth Heaton and featuring a team of college coach experts. We'll bring you the tips, techniques, and know-how to navigate the road to college and do so the smart way. Listen live every Thursday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Want an insider's pass to everything that goes on in Hollywood? Join Summer Helene every week for Behind the Scenes. Summer Helene is known as the Duchess of Hollywood because she knows the insiders, legends, and celebs and brings the stories, the gossip, and the backstage scoop. It's the real Hollywood, though. So this program is for adults only. Behind the Scenes can be heard live every Friday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time and 7 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. listening to Psych Up Live. Join in our conversation today by calling Dr. Suzanne Phillips or her guest at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You may also send an email to radiohostphillips at gmail.com. Now, back to Psych Up Live. Welcome back to Psych Up Live. 
Hi, welcome back. We're speaking with uh, Matthew Hudson. Um, he's a science writer. We're talking about fake news. And in this segment, we're talking about how to resist it. Matthew, in terms of ge- gender, age, uh, personality, are some of us more susceptible to fake news than others? Yes, there have been a few studies on this. Um, one set of factors involves uh, fantasy and how much people tend to be absorbed in their experiences in the moment. Um, so, for instance, people who tend to get caught up in music when they're listening to it and, and don't notice anything else, um, or people who walk into a, a room and forget why they're there, or, or people who feel like their daydreams are, are really realistic, um, they tend to be more susceptible to fake memories in general. Um, mm-hmm. Because they kind of they construct these worlds and then they think that they're real. Um, and then there are people. There are some cognitive effects. Uh, so people who are less intelligent or who have lower working memory, they tend to be more susceptible. Um, in part because um, you know that they hear something and then later it's debunked. They maybe can't manipulate their previous belief as well to kind of take it apart and, and erase it. Um, there's a, a study on, on belief in fake news that found that people who were more receptive to what the researchers called pseudo-profound BS, um, <laughs> they, they spelled it out in the paper, um, are more susceptible to believing in fake news. And so uh, in an earlier study, they found that these are people who find more depth in um tweets that are sort of jumbles of spiritual or, or new age kinds of things from Deepak Chopra. Mm-hmm. And so people who find a lot of meaning in those things are also more likely to believe fake news. Mm-hmm. Um, and then age. So there's some, some mixed effects on age. Uh, one study found that people older than 65, if they hear something and then later it's debunked, they're less able to... Um, correct themselves, they're more likely to still believe the original debunked uh, right. statement. Um, but then there's also, um, they're, they're better at defending against the familiarity effect. The sort of, when you hear something multiple times and it feels familiar, familiar you're more likely to believe it. So they're better at defending against that and relying on their actual knowledge, their previous knowledge, rather than just sort of the gut feeling. Maybe because they're more wise and they're more you know, they have more experience applying their knowledge to various situations. Um, so it's kind of, it's, it's an interesting mix of effects uh, or a mix of factors that influence how we deal with memories and how we deal with beliefs and, and the influence of uh, various types of conflicting information. Mm. I had a father-in-law who, his gut was really pretty amazing because if we came over and there were other people with us and somebody was BSing, in two yeah. minutes, in two minutes, he got it. <clears throat> so I think it's probably very, it's very interesting about not being able to shift it on one level um, with somebody older and on the other hand, not being easily influenced. Well, given age as a factor, let's talk about the vulnerability of children. Mm-hmm. And 
um, how would we how would a parent approach children given what we're talking about today in terms of the kind of you know deep fakes where mm-hmm. heads are imposed on bodies and uh, news is repeated yeah. over and over again? What would you suggest? I would say don't believe everything that you read online. Mm-hmm. Um, and think think critically. Um, there's a one of the sources I talked to said we should just delete Facebook completely. Like these are <laughs> companies that they're they don't have our consumers' best interest in at heart. Mm-hmm. Um, like their customers are the the advertisers, and they're just selling our attention to the advertisers. Um, but I know it's it's gonna, it's a tough it's a hard sell to yeah. you know get your kid to get off Facebook or Twitter. Mm-hmm. Um, but you can encourage them to to not just automatically believe everything they read. Mm. I think, you know, to go with that, I think you might model showing someone else something that seems crazy. That is, if you read something and you print it out and you tell your 12-year-old, look at what I just read. Mm-hmm. Now, how could this really be true? Right. Um, and let's and let's check it. Maybe we could encourage them to do the same. That you know, if they see someone's head imposed on something else, or they read something that seems frightening, an end of the world theory or whatever it happens to be, maybe we can model and invite them to print it out and let's look at it together. Yeah. Now, you know, we'll go through it together and say. Uh, like this is how you question this, or this is why this might make might not make sense, or this is, you know, something that you might want to look up or compare with something else. Yeah. Now I think early teens, you got a good shot of that. Uh, Sixteen yeah. and over, <laughs> it's going to be a little bit more difficult. But I even think if you bring it up, saying mm. something came across my Facebook or whatever, which clearly clearly can't be true, it doesn't make sense. You're at least suggesting. A doubt, which yeah. is certainly what we need. One of the things you wrote about in your article was retractions. Um, mm-hmm. Sort of like to offset the repeated false news, repeated detailed retractions, you know, mm-hmm. that provide new facts to supplement old ones. Now, yeah. did you mean that that's what we as consumers should do? Or it's the responsibility of um, a show or, or a um, newspaper? What were you thinking with that? I think it's the responsibility of, of all of us. Um, so the, the general idea is that we like to hold on to beliefs, whatever they are. Um, <clears throat> and it's hard to just get rid of that because beliefs, um, they, they're a structure that hold our experience of the world together. They create order. And if you remove mm-hmm. it, there's just a vacuum and then there's nothing to hold anything together and there's chaos and we don't like that. So if you have, if people have some simple explanation for something um, and you remove that, you need to replace it with some other explanation, some other thing that creates order out of the world just as well. Okay. Um, and so that could be, uh, if a newspaper is retracting a previous story, then just having one line saying, you know, we, we take it back isn't enough. They should mm-hmm. say, well, this is this is what really happened. Um, and, you know, this explains why we thought this way or, or the results. Um, or if there's some fake piece of news going around or some false claim, um, then other organizations, other news organizations or people online, they might say, 
not just that's false, but that's false, and this is what's true, and this is this explains um, you know sort of what you're what you're seeing. Mm-hmm. Um, it also helps to explain um, not just to re- to replace one belief with another, but to explain why that first claim was made. So there's some um, uh, some research in criminology, for instance, where uh, a prosecutor might. Um, or let's say a defense attorney might say, okay, the prosecution is making various claims about this person. Um, or you've heard these news stories about this person. Um, that Those new, news stories you've heard, those are actually because the prosecutor has been leaking information to news outlets. Mm-hmm. So then that gets people to question not just the story that they've heard, but the motivation behind the story. And so that is, in a sense, is a new explanation. That's why I'm hearing these things. Mm. So, I mean, it's really interesting what you're saying because the mind works for us and it doesn't. Uh, let me see if I have it right because I think you gave another example where you see something that initially doesn't make sense to you. So mm-hmm. then you reconfigure in your mind yeah. how this could happen on a farm and then you believe it. But you've done that reconfiguration to adjust to the false picture that we have this tendency. Is that what you're sort of saying? Yeah. So if you, let's say you come across, you see a, a, a deep fake and you think it's real. And then someone says it's actually not real. Um, one thing that the, the debunker could do is say, this is not real. And this is why it was created. This is the motivation for... Okay. For why you're seeing this fake thing. Okay. The, the reason this is really so important in terms of being part of dialogue with people, and particularly people with youngsters, is what's incomprehensible to children is often somewhat traumatic. And mm-hmm. so to be able to come up with retractions, to be able to offer the reason for the false news or the deep fake, I think is a very valuable um, aspect of parenting um, besides being used for yourself, but to pass on to your children. Yeah. Um, so this, so reading something and saying, not just is this true, but what are the motives behind the person telling me this? Yes, yes, because that would apply to a child uh, bullying in school or someone saying something in school, that we're yeah. inviting them to be, as you say, curious and to be the detective as to, well, why would that person say that? Yeah, it's a good... Good habit to be in anywhere. Like if a bully or someone is insulting you, um, rather than thinking, oh, is this really true? Am I really ugly and stupid? Um, You might think, oh, this person is just telling me this, not because it's true, but because the person is insecure. You know, the person um, wants to, you know, has some other motive. Um, And that's why the person is telling me this, not because I actually am ugly and stupid and whatever. Now, one of the things that you mentioned as, as a major way to, for us to handle fake news in many forms is what you call tilting toward disbelief. The only real weapon, you say, is cynicism. Yeah. Um, it only gets you so far because we can't be cynical about everything 24-7. Right. It'd be hard to get through life that way. It'd be hard to live with, yes. Yeah. <clears throat> but, but, but to actually think really and to have oh, someone I mentioned before some in the break someone did an article on read everything like a libel attorney put mm-hmm. yourself in the shoes of the person who's being 
falsely pictured or falsely discussed. Um, what they're really th- saying is bring different perspectives on what you see and hear and read mm. so that you are not so easily fooled. Yeah. Yeah, that's, uh, it's good to think critically about things. Um, you know, what would someone from another point of view, like, what if I were asked to argue the other side of this, what would I say? Right. What would I think? Right. Right. I think it's great that you took up this this whole topic um, in your article because more and more people are nervous about this and it seems like it's somewhat of an epidemic of fake news. Yeah. Um, that's why you know, all these dictionaries are naming things like the word of the year, like fake news and, and uh, disinformation and things like that. It's, it's yeah. really something on people's minds and it's a real thing that we have to deal with. Well, I'm I'm very, very grateful that you came on to discuss it. Now, Matthew, I know on your site you have other podcasts and you have blogs. So my question that I want you, um, it, I'm going to ask is, how could our listeners find you online and read more of what you've written and um, discussed? Uh, I would say go to Twitter. My Twitter handle is Silver Jacket. Uh, I link to a lot of my writing from there. Okay. Now, how would people find your book, The Seven Laws of Magical Thinking? Um, they could go on Amazon, or they could just Google it, um, and it will, you know, or go to the library. Um, just Google The Seven Laws of Magical Thinking or a magical thinking book or something like that, and, and they'll find it. And I'm going to suggest that if you Google the title, Why, we, why Do We Believe in Magic?, uh, Matthew Hudson, Psych Up Live, you'll get to hear Matthew talking about this very, very interesting book and why we believe in magic. I still can remember aspects of it. Um, I think you, you mentioned that the king crab fisherman mm-hmm. had the most dangerous job, and the more dangerous the job, the more the superstitions. Yeah, that's part of the, the whole thing of, of wanting some explanation of the world or wanting some control over the world and seeking order. Uh, and commercial fisher people, uh, com- commercial fishers, they there's so much risk and uncertainty in their job, they'll look for anything, and it could be these superstitious rituals that they use. Well, I think many of us have our rituals too. It's it's a great book and a good show. Um, I, w- I want to thank you again, Matthew, for coming on and sharing your perspective and discussing your important article. Thanks again. Well, thank you for having me. It was a, it was a good time. Okay, I want to thank my listeners. Remember, you can hear this and any prior show as a podcast on my tonight by 6 p.m. Eastern. This will be a podcast that will be on my host site, my website. It'll be on the podcast app of your iPhone, on iTunes, on Sketcher. Um, so remember to tune in later or tell someone about it if they didn't get to hear it live. Drop me a comment or question at radiohostphillips at gmail.com. Mostly until next week, please take care, thanks, and be listening. Thank you for tuning in to Psych Up Live. Please join Dr. Suzanne Phillips for another edition of our programming next Thursday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Until then, be well and be listening.